0: You know, and when, he, when Timothy, yeah, it was short notice, but when Timothy asked me if I, if I could do this, my immediate response, because of the very things he's talking about, was, no, I don't think I would really have that much to say about this. And then I, I visited with Mike Wing, one of my other pastor friends, and he said, absolutely you should do this. And I asked my wife about it, and she said, absolutely. So, you know, in, the, in two or three witnesses. So here I am. Um, let's begin with a word of prayer, and then I'll uh, share with you. <clears throat> Father, thank you that you have chosen to save us. Lord, it is clear we are undeserving, but it's also clear that now, having been saved by Your Son, Jesus Christ. We are perfect in Your sight because we're in Christ. And that really everything we do now in our lives, if we have been saved, is done by the power of Your Spirit and by Your grace and for Your glory. So Lord, I pray that You would draw our attentions to that level of your your truth and your love and your grace toward us so that we would understand where we stand with you so that we know how we can stand with men, so that we can know how we can be spiritual leaders in our home. Lord, we, we pray that you would help me to be clear uh, by your grace. Amen. So just real quick, I'll pick it up from what Timothy had said. Over the last ten years, my wife has had just a whole bunch of health issues. She has diabetes Um, she her hearing is is slowly getting worse and worse to the point where now she needs a cochlear implant her eyes have through glaucoma uh, she's had surgeries for her eyes and one of her eyes if you look at it's got a band of calcium basically across the cornea and so she she can hardly see at times and uh, she's also been diagnosed with it, with a hereditary ataxia, which is ataxia is is the umbrella for all of these n- neural diseases that people get, such as Lou Gehrig's Lou Gehrig's is that the right one ALS, cerebral palsy. Those all fall under that category. We just don't know what she's got, and it has been it has been hard. Um, it's hard to watch her her just deteriorate. Um, we, we've become familiar with sometimes having to call, uh, well, we haven't had to call the ambulance very long. I bought her an Apple Watch so that if she fell, it registers and will call the 911. Well, it's dialed 911 a couple of times now. And so, of course, I've also found out, you know, if you're pounding an ant on the ground, it'll also set off your watch. <laughs> and mine started to call too, but, but as Glee and I started this process I told her, I said, honey, we don't need to ask why. There's no why here. The why is God's glory. Why is God allowing this? God's glory. And so, when he's asking, it's like, I am so stretched and pulled by this. I'm like, I don't know that I got anything to say about spiritual leadership. I really wonder at times. So, I'm going to get back to my notes now. um, Because I'll go two hours if I don't. But we're... Timothy said, how to be a spiritual leader in your home. And, and my first question is, what is this? What does that look like, to be a spiritual leader in your home? I don't think it looks like we often think it looks. And that's, I'm here to kind of talk more from that end today. Howard Hendricks, I had him as a professor in seminary, and he said that, men, if your Christianity doesn't work at home, don't export it. And I I, I thought that was a very, very wise comment. You know, if if it's not working in my home, then just shut my mouth. (laughs) Don't go tell people the gospel if you're not going to live it out. But at the same time, that puts us in a position of, well, man, I I do a lousy job, so I guess none of us should share the gospel. No, we're not going there either. And so we want to kind of take a look at this. I could give you... I could, I could stand here and give you a list of obvious necessaries that you need to do in order to be a spiritual leader. And they are truly what you need to do to be a spiritual leader. And we'll get into that if we can. Um, but you really have to understand what's at the foundation of it all before these really make sense. Uh, for instance, the obvious necessaries... You have got to be in the word. You have got to be getting the word in your life. God's word in you, you need it. You you absolutely need it if you're going to be a spiritual leader. Actually, you need it if you're going to be a Christian. But if you're going to be a spiritual leader, you need that. You need to be actively involved in your local church. You need to make the commitment and the time to do that. You can't function properly as a Christian or a leader, if you're not doing that. You need to be pursuing Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength if you're going to be a good spiritual leader. And you need to be persevering in the faith if you're going to do this as well. Those are the four necessaries that I came up with. And if we get to it, I'll kind of run through them again. And just and if not... That's what Q and A's are for—is for you to finish your sermon. So uh, we'll look at that one way or the other. But but that you guys know that you guys know these things, right? When I say all these things, you go, "Ugh, I'm such a loser," right? Right? Can you identify with that? I I do, I do. Well, I want to help you with that part too. To to simplify it, really, to grasp the basics. If I'm going to be a biblical leader, a biblical spiritual leader in my home or anywhere else, it boils down really to Galatians 2.20, doesn't it? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. What? Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Honestly, if you want to simplify it, there it is. That's what it takes to be a, spiritual, a, a good spiritual leader in your home. It's not about a bunch of do's. It's about who you are. That's, that's, that's the bottom line when it comes right down to it. But, when everything is caving in, and I'm struggling just to make it through today, Just to keep my focus on track today. When the trials and the afflictions come to visit you and decide to stay long term, perhaps even until death. And when I'm struggling just to be in the Word for my own sake, for my own growth, for my own feeding. much less to be in it for all those who are relying on me to bring them the word every week. And at the same time, there's whispers that come into my heart that I'm a failure as a Christian, much less as a leader. And I find myself in a spiritual desert where it seems that God has abandoned me and is not hearing my prayers and I can't even sometimes pray. And then in the roar and the busyness of life and responsibilities of life, you sometimes just feel like giving up. And say, I know this is what I'm supposed to do. I know this is what I'm supposed to be. I I can't do it. I, I can't hardly get through today. What then? You know what then? Clarity. Clarity. Because struggle... Clarifies everything. It brings it down to the basics. Because when you're when you're struggling and and it's like, how can I lead my family when this is going on? When that's going on, you know what? God is taking you out into the desert so that He can show you what really matters. Are you going to be satisfied when He is all you have? Are you going to trust him when everything else seems like it's not working right? Elijah was given that clarity. And I think we're all familiar with the story of Elijah, right? Remember Elijah? He's he's on the mount and he's going against the high priests of Baal. And he whoops up on them, doesn't he? He gets done with them. This is... Man, one of the strongest leaders you've ever seen. And then this woman takes him down. This woman threatens his life, says, I'm going to kill you, and he knows she means it. And he runs away. And he not only runs away, he is convinced, because we read this in Romans where it's quoted. He says, Lord, they've all gone away. I'm the only one that's left. And they want to kill me too. And God says, no, you're wrong, Elijah. I have set aside 7,000 for myself. I have kept them, Elijah. Guys, it's not about us keeping us. It's not about us doing it. It's about him doing it. And he has to take us sometimes into these trials to show us that it's all about Him, and He has us. No matter what, no matter how bad it goes, He has us in His hand. And that is what you have to rely on if you're going to be a good spiritual leader. If you're going to be a leader in your home. When everything else is falling apart, what are you going to do? No matter how powerful of a leader you are, you need that clarity that ultimately it's all about God. It's all about him. It's, it's him. And Elijah, Elijah's like, I'm done. And God clarifies it for him. He goes to the mountain, remember? And a huge storm comes. The rocks are breaking. It's a lot of noise, a lot of roaring. But God's not in the roaring. God's not in all of that. Whereas God? God is in the quiet the quiet blowing of that breeze. Sometimes God has to take us away from all the noise and the cacophony and all the the clatter and the busyness of life and say, look, be still and know I am God. That, by the way, comes out of which psalm? I, I wrote it down here, but I can't see it right here. But, it comes out of the Psalms. I think it's 46. Psalm 46. God's not in all the noise and the clatter. He's in the quiet. When it's just you and Him. And sometimes you've got to strip everything else away, so it's just you and Him. You see, when He says, be still and know, what He tells us to know is not, you can do it. He doesn't say, be still and know, you can do it. It's be still and know I am God. He doesn't even say be still and know that I can do it for you. He says just be still and know who I am. Be still, know I am God. That's what we got to get. He is God. So trust Him. Believe Him. No matter what. Is that enough for me? Is that enough when I'm out in the spiritual desert? And I've read about that. Uh, Greg Harris wrote a book on, on uh, what's the, what, the Cup and the Glory, I think, is the first one. And he writes about this, that where, he, where he's a pastor. He's, he's very, uh, I guess you could say successful as a pastor, uh, whatever that looks like. But he said, he said that um, they had, his wife had twin, twin children and they lost them both just in, in one, one night. And then after that, he got this horrendous uh, rheumatoid arthritis. It was like the worst thing I've ever read about. And, and he, he was suffering. And all that time, he's praying, and it seems like God is doing the opposite. It seems like God's not answering his prayers. And he finally came to, not, not to realize, because he knew it, but he, he had to be clarified that God still has you, no matter what. God has his plan. God is in control. And sometimes when we think about spiritual leadership, we're so weary. We get so weary just of life and, and how things go. We've got to be reminded it's about our heart focus because the heart is always the heart of the matter. Um, you know, the title of this is How to Be a Spiritual Leader. Notice it's how to be, not do. You know, we talk about doing church. How just Just be church. Don't... Don't talk about what you can do. Well, now, we do have to do. There is, there is do, as Yoda said. There is no try. There is only do. But not, that's not the entire case. It, ultimately, it's, it's all God. What's the world's view about what leadership looks like? Here's, here's what I would say is, this is why we, I, I really didn't think I wanted to do this, because I said, I'm not even sure I know how to explain this. So I hope... I hope this is, this is helpful. But the world's view of, of leadership is type A personality, right? I mean, that's what people think about. When they think about leader, this guy, you know, it, it's, it's, the, it's the loud and proud, my way or the highway type of leadership. Power, authority, right? Now, there is some of that power and authority is, is involved in leadership, Yes but that's not what I see in Scripture when it talks about leadership. I went and looked up the word leader, lead and leader and it's interesting because it's a word that means to consider, to think through, to uh, esteem, to come to a conclusion. That, that's the word that is translated as leader or form of that word is translated as leader. In Hebrews 13, it, it talks about you know, being submissive to your leaders. It says, remember those who, were your, who, who led you and Imitate their what you learn from them. In other words, these leaders led you, follow their example. In Hebrews uh thirteen seventeen he says, Let's let's look at that one. Hebrews thirteen seventeen Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. He says, Obey your leaders. But notice what he says about the leaders. He doesn't say, Obey your leaders because they're more powerful than you or because they're smarter than you. He says, Obey your leaders because what? They take care of you. This idea of leadership in Scripture is that, that somebody's esteemed as a leader because they're an example. Because they are the one who helps you along, who gives you direction. <clears throat> not because they're in charge of you in the in the sense that they command and tell you do this or do that or else. That's not the idea of biblical leadership. There is authority there. There definitely is authority, but it's Scripture that's the authority. Your leaders do have authority over you because God has called them to lead you in that way. And in fact, in uh, Luke 22, 26, if you can turn there, we're not going to go to a gazillion Bible verses. Normally I do. Um, I told Timothy, I said, this is not my typical uh, message today. But... Luke twenty two and verse twenty six. This is and Jesus is talking about leadership here. And uh, of course, the context here is really actually quite humorous when I when I read it. You know, there arose a dispute verse twenty four among them as to which of them was regarded as to be the greatest. The disciples are having a discussion about who's greater. Uh, that's pretty appalling, isn't it? And Jesus said to them, "The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them that's our that's the world's idea of leadership, lording it over. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors. We can identify with that, you know because you know you do know that social security is now a benefit, not a owed thing. They are your benefactors. It's a joke. You can cut that out if you want, but he says, but it is not this way with you. He's talking to these guys as leaders. He's trained these disciples to be leaders. He says, not this way with you, but the one who's greatest among you must be like the youngest and the leader like the servant. That's biblical leadership. We sometimes call it servant leadership, and that's not a bad way to say it. There is authority, there is direction, there is leading but it's it's got a humility that is part and parcel of it and humility is the key honestly guys humility can solve a lot of problems in your home in your work why do you always have to be right you don't god knows you're right if you are so i don't need to have a big argument with my wife that if, if i'm right although i do the other day i did I got very exercised and uh, raised my voice. She can't hear worth a darn. Did I tell you that too? She cannot hear very good. I mean, her left ear is nearly, you know, and so we're talking. I'm like, oh, hey, you know, I talked to Stan yesterday. and She's like, Stan? St-? You know, this it, it happens every day, all day long. You know, I've learned I can't go high. I've got a tenor voice. She can't hear it. I've got to lower my voice, keep it low, and even then. it's frustrating. It gets frustrating. You're trying to tell her a joke. You know, and it takes ten minutes to try to get it across. And by then, it's not funny anymore. I don't think it's funny at all now because I've got to explain this. And it's so hard. And my heart hurts for her. Well, servant leadership... You care about those you're leading. That is the key. And so, the, the church's view, the Bible's view, from what, what I can find is that leadership really is about example. It's about being an example. And if you really want to nail it down, you know, you know, what, you know what leadership is, whether it's in the home or the church? Is I am pursuing Christ with all my heart, and I'm bringing you along with me. That's leadership. It's really followership. Okay? It's not about me and, "Hey, here I am. Now, I'm going to make your life." No, I'm following Jesus Christ and I'm just trying to bring you along the best I can. That's leadership, guys. Now that includes those four or five areas that I that I said. That is how you put that into practice, but you got to have the underneath underlying foundational understanding of what that's all built on as a leader what I need to be is I need to be an example for others to follow my life should be such a life that as you watch me then you're encouraged to say I want to be like that which if the spirit indwells you he's going to be prompting you to want that if you're genuinely saved, then you do have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. And the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to prompt that desire to to be with people that you see that they are godly and they're growing and, and you want to go along with them. It's not about power and success and awe from others. And, and it's not surely not about what you can do. It's about being an example. And... and, and and you can clarify for me. I, I went to look for this verse. I thought really it was in Scripture, but I don't think it is, but "Follow me as I follow Christ." I don't think it's put quite that way, though, I think Paul says, "Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ," which is essentially the same thing. That's First, that's first uh, Corinthians 11:1. And remember, he's writing to the first church of the train wreck in, in Corinthians. This is like the worst church of all the churches they get spoken to, except maybe in in the the seven churches in in Revelation. But one of the earliest epistles written, 1 Corinthians, is written to one of the most messed up churches. And I think that's by design. He took the worst church, and even in that church, Paul begins the, the, the message by saying, I thank God for you. How do you thank God for a church like that? Because Paul, as Paul always did, has the focus we're talking about. He's following Christ. Look where Paul came from. He was a fundamental religious terrorist. And he gets saved. So anybody can get saved as far as he's concerned. Even these Corinthians that are a, a really a mess. And he says, I love you. I, I, I praise God for you. Now you guys, this is wrong and you need to, you need to change it. Okay? But he tells him in chapter 11, follow me, essentially, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's the point. You want to be a spiritual leader in your home, you follow Christ with all your heart and you'll just magnetically pull him along. Honestly. It's not about what you can do. It's about who you're going to follow, who you're going to trust. And again, that's why sometimes God puts you in the desert so you can have that clarified for yourself. It's not about... Whether I'm followed, it's about, are they ultimately following Christ even in following me? Scripture's pictures about leadership bear this out as well. You know, the the biggest example that they use in Scripture concerning leadership is what? Shepherds. Do any of you know anything about shepherding and, and sheep? Anybody know anything about sheep? Um, what we do know is sheep are sometimes pretty stupid. That's true. Um, sheep will only follow somebody that they trust. Um, shepherds guide sheep. They don't control sheep. Now, granted, you may control one a single sheep that needs to be taken care of or something, yes. But you don't drive sheep. You drive cattle. You can't, you can't drive sheep. If you try to drive sheep, they're just, it's like herding cats. Okay? You lead sheep. And for you to lead sheep, they have to trust you. Go to, go to uh, John 10. Because <clears throat> Jesus said that he is what? The good shepherd. Not just any old shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's the shepherd that is beneficial. That word good means beneficial. He's beneficial to the sheep. And he, he compares himself with fake shepherds, false shepherds. Um, and he says they're just in it for what they can gain. They're in it to take advantage of the sheep. And it's not in the New Testament alone. In the Old Testament, that's... that's a huge picture that is used of leadership as well. I could say perhaps the main, main one. I'm not sure. I didn't go do a full check on it, but it is definitely uh, right there in our face. A shepherd guides sheep rather than controls them. A shepherd protects and cares for sheep, even loves sheep. They even name them one by one. A shepherd... Leads sheep doesn't drive them, and a shepherd feeds sheep rather than fleeces them the way we understand that term. They do take the fleece off of the sheep, and that is for the sheep 's good, but they don't just rip the sheep off, so to speak. Well, Jesus in John 10 I mean he spends a whole bunch of time here talking about this um, <clears throat> In the first verse he says, I say to you, he who doesn't enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up another way, he's a thief and a robber. Because you only came into the sheepfold through one door and you had somebody who watched that door. And if you come over the the side, there's some nefarious reason you're doing that. You're not coming for the good of the sheep. And Jesus speaks about that and he's talking about the Pharisees first and foremost there. Um, in verse four, he says, "When he puts forth all his own, when he goes and he leads them out of the sheepfold, um, because all the shepherds, you know, they they'd have multiple flocks that would stay in the fold at night for safety, and so as each shepherd would come to that fold in the morning and he'd call out to his sheep, his sheep would hear his voice and they'd come to him. He didn't have to go in and, and drive them out of the pen. He would call them and they'd come because they recognize." their shepherd's voice. They trust their shepherd in a sense. They love their shepherd, uh, if you will. And Jesus says that stranger, verse 5, they will, simply will not follow. But they flee from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Sheep are very focused in that sense. And he goes on, he talks about being the door of the sheep. And then he comes to verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, so that I may take it again. Okay, he says several things about shepherds and sheeps here, but uh, what's very clear to me is... Being a shepherd is being a leader and it's not being somebody who's a, a driver, right? This leadership is leadership by example and explanation. A servant leader. And that is exactly what Jesus... Where do you see Jesus when he is dealing with his own disciples? Ever driving them or tearing them down or scolding them severely. Now on occasion he'll give a little scold, yes. But what's his overall way of dealing with his disciples? He's gracious. He's loving. He's very authoritative with the Word. But he wants them to come alongside. He doesn't, he doesn't give them the Word to beat them down, ever. He calls them down when necessary. Peter, nah, you're wrong. But even there, there was love. I had a very good friend named tony Laws and he is he is now with the lord and he could be what would what's the word stan what would huh direct, direct. that's a good way, yeah, he could be direct stern. stern at times, but he could also be exceedingly loving if tony and and I had this happen i'm this pretty much all of this that I'm giving you today is from experience when Tony, you know, we'd have lunch, because he was, he was like one of my best friends. You know, we'd go, we'd go on vacation together and everything. And, uh, and he, he'd have lunch, and he says, you know what, that, that sermon you had last Sunday, I felt like I was just sitting in your living room. There was no authority there. You know, he'd calm me down. And initially, I was kind of, you know, because I'm not a type A personality. You know, and I'm just like, oh, I'm a horrible person. And eventually I realized though that that was coming out of love because he would give me praise just as readily. He'd say, "Man, what you did was great," or you know, I mean, he he did he wasn't one-sided. So when he did have something stern to say to me, I knew that love was behind it and I also learned eventually that if I could come back with a valid argument, he'd go, "Oh, okay." <laughs> I didn't realize you could do that. He's like, I'm like, no, Tony. This, 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 and this. He goes, oh, okay. Oh, is that easy? (laughs) He loved me. He did. He genuinely did. But he loved me enough he would point out my weaknesses. That's what Jesus did. That's what he does. He doesn't drive us. He He will... I don't even want to say scold, but but he will he will point out where we're weak. Not because he's saying, You're an idiot because you're so weak. You're a lousy leader in your home. What a jerk. I, I'm done with you. See, that's what goes into my through my head when I'm struggling that way is you know, God doesn't even want me living on the outskirts of heaven. And sure he certainly doesn't want to hear from me today. He doesn't want to hear me talk to him. I blew it so bad. And I am learning, especially through these trials, that that is not true. God loves me, even if I'm in the desert and I can't even seem to see Him working. And my prayers seem to not even... I don't even know if I'm really really praying. When that goes through, I, I know, oh no, He says He's listening. He says He loves me. It's, it's about, am I going to believe Him or am I going to believe what I think about Him? And guys... This is, I think, the key to being a good spiritual leader on any level. You have to know who you're following first before you can lead others. And so, Jesus... Oh, oh, wait. Let's look at another verse. John 13. The whole chapter. I'm not going to do the whole chapter. But John 13... Jesus pulls all his disciples together. It's just going to be them now for the for the rest of this time uh because he, he's done with the public. And so he comes and they come for this supper and they all come in and of course um you all know this, I'm sure already, but in those days they did not have sewers underground and they didn't have paved streets always. And so you're walking through the streets in sandals. And so but 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 animals are also walking in the streets. People are pouring out stuff from their basins into their streets. And by the time you get to this wonderful banquet where you're going to eat, um, you, you didn't have chairs. You laid down on your side. And so, you know, I'd be laying here and then, and then the next guy's, his head is right here down by my feet. That that's really makes for a nice aroma for supper, right? And so when you came into a house... Part of hospitality, and hospitality meant a lot in the Near East. You do this. The lowliest slave would come and wash your feet off because nobody wants to smell those feet when they're trying to eat their food. Try it in a restaurant sometime. See what kind of response you get. (laughs) No, don't. (laughs) Go take your shoes off and put them up on the table. Yeah, that would... And it would go over about as good as it would have in the first century. And so Jesus takes, it, takes this towel, this big long towel that they used for this. They'd wrap it around and they'd have, the, the front of the towel was really long. And he went and he started to wash all their feet. And what, was their, what would be your response? They wash your feet. Yeah. Well, it wasn't, that wasn't even their response, was it? Peter's like, oh no, you're not washing my feet. Well, Peter, why don't you shut up and say, I'll do it. All right? Peter, having nothing to say, said it. But he he says that and Jesus says, No, I gotta wash your feet. And Peter says, Okay, then wash all of me. No, I don't need to wash all of you. It's just your feet that walked through the street and need to be washed. And he's you know, he's 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 giving some, them some some you know theological teaching there. But I want you to see here. When he gets to verse fifteen, I think it's verse fifteen. Yeah, after he's washed their feet, no, verse twelve. He sits down, he reclines at the table again, and, and you know, you got it. I mean, they're probably embarrassed that Jesus did this. I mean, because, you know, you take the lowest slave. And you remember what John the Baptist said about Jesus? I'm not even fit to untie his sandals. I'm not even fit to take his sandals off in order to wash his feet. There's humility. And Jesus says, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right, for I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Because the one who sent is not greater than the one who sent him. That is spiritual leadership right there. That's the basis. Humility and following Christ, keeping your eyes on Christ, and in humility, bringing along the others. That is what the Bible lifts up as true spiritual leadership. And men, every one of us, are able to do that in the power of the Spirit. So, what about when I feel like I'm a total failure? Because maybe, maybe now you feel like a failure that you're you know, lame leaders or whatever. Don't fixate on how lame you are. Jesus is able to heal the lame. Don't worry about that fixate on the one who can help you to be exactly what he wants to be. And not only help you, he promises to make you exactly what he intends for you to be. Our problem is we fix our focus too much on what we can do or haven't done rather than fixing our focus on the one who has done it all for us already and he's the one who enables us. Do you realize you don't keep yourself saved, right? Do you keep yourself saved? If you do enough good things, you'll stay saved. If you say yes, you're wrong. Jesus saves you. It's the cross that saves you. Have have any of you heard of Mercy Me, the the singing group? They got a song that's called Flawless. That uh, it brings me to tears and, and a lot of times I'm singing it when we sing it for, the, for Wednesday night, but he, he says you've got to realize you're flawless in God's eyes because you're in Christ. If you have been saved by the blood of Christ, that, that blood covers you forever. We're going to look at a couple verses just to drive that home. But that's what you cling to. It's not about how good you can do. It doesn't mean you don't persevere, you don't pursue, you don't do but you don't do it from your own strength. You do it by the Spirit, by His power. Recognizing I don't have the power to do this on my own. If I think I can become a wonderful leader on my own, God will be very happy to show me that I'm wrong. And also then be very happy to show me how to do it the right way. You know, maybe maybe you're a horrible leader in your home spiritually. It's not too late. It's not too late. You can do it. And in fact, it's not you can do it. You must do it because that is your calling. We need to be men again and quit being whatever's. We need to man up. 1 Corinthians sixteen fourteen is that the one? He says, be like men. Stand up like men. Quit letting your wife be the spiritual leader in the home. And by the way... A person can be a spiritual leader, male or female, because leader being a leader in this sense is not about authority. It's about example. It's about showing. Do you know other women? Perhaps your wife, you say, man, she's such a godly woman. I want to be godly like that. That's a good thing. But you also want to be the one where she says, I love my husband. I love how he loves the Lord and he wants to, to do this. This is how you raise Godly children too or I you can't guarantee the godly part, you can't make them get saved, but you can be an example. What kind of example are we being? And if you say, Oh man, I'm I'm such a loser, I'm with you. Honestly, I am with you. I wrestle with this. Mike and I both, we're pastors, and and we and we talk a lot, we counsel each other, and you know, we each have days where it's like, you know, I am I'm I'm such I wonder if I'm even really saved. Honestly, sometimes I wonder. And you know, and then Mike can say, "No, Doug, I've seen this in you, and this, and this, and and uh, you know, okay." Because you know what? It's by faith. It's not by how I feel or what I can do, which is again why sometimes He takes you in the desert to say, "Look, it's just me. That's all you have. Are you going to trust me?" Because that's that's the lesson. That's what we need to do. In Matthew eleven, Matthew eleven twenty eight through thirty. Jesus says in verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll help you to get on the stick and do it yourself. <laughs> not even, right? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. Notice again, he doesn't say, take, your yoke, take my yoke on you because, man, I am strong. Now, he is. But that's not what he emphasizes here, is it? He says, I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, listen, you follow me. He doesn't, he doesn't guarantee it's not going to be hard. He doesn't say it's going to be easy necessarily but he says, I'm with you. It's my yoke, not yours. I'm pulling there with you. The Spirit is in us to help us with these things. Our problem is we get exhausted and we get overwhelmed and we feel like failures. And, and, and now I'm supposed to lead when, when it feels like I can't even do anything for Christ. But the question is, is the focus on what I can do or is the focus on who I am? Which one is it? Because that's the key. Who am I in Christ? Christ. Galatians 2.20 we saw. But turn over to 2 Corinthians. Again, again with the Corinthians. These guys needed a lot of work, didn't they? And they'd really mess it up this time in 2 Corinthians. They had... Oh boy. But in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, here's what he says. This is about who you are. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is what he has to say about you and I. And sometimes, this is all you have to cling to. Some days, it, you really wonder where you're at. And that's why he gives us the word to encourage us. But in Second Corinthians 5.17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, notice, when you get saved, you are placed into Christ. So when God looks at you, who does he see? Christ. Is Christ perfect? I liken it to this. If you take this sheet of paper, and you've got all these accusations written against you. And you fold this up and you put it in a nice white envelope that, that says Christ on it. When you pick that up, do you see the paper that's inside or do you see Christ? Because that's what it is. When we get saved, He places us into Christ. I can't explain exactly how that works. I, I don't, that's above my pay grade. I don't have to know. I just have to believe it. And when He places me in Christ, that means He gives me all the power of the Holy Spirit as He indwells me to do what He calls me to do as I rely on Him and do it. That's what it comes down to. But you have to want to do that. Right? He doesn't force you. Some days I wish He would, but He doesn't. But He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. He says, listen, when you get saved... You're an entirely new person. You are not who you used to be. Our problem is we still think that we're who we used to be, but just with a new coat of paint. And we're not. When God saves you, He completely changes you. It's such a change that He calls it the new birth. Now, honestly, I got saved when I was like seven or eight years old. I did, I saw fruit. I had not plumbed the depths of my sin. Now maybe some of you have, and you have a you had a much better black and white picture of the difference. For me, I wasn't killing people, raping women, or doing anything like that. I was a I was a very good kid. You can ask my parents; they'll tell you that I was. I I was not a troublemaker or anything. Sometimes it makes it harder to see the difference, but I was changed. I was changed. I was convicted by my sin. I wanted to obey God. Not on the full level that I came to understand, obviously. But, but you change. When you get saved, sometimes the, the picture is so obvious, right? My friend Tony was one. A druggie. He got in fights. And when he got saved, whoa. Huge change. Probably the same with the Apostle Paul, I'd say, wouldn't you? Big difference. But there is a difference nonetheless. If you've been saved, you're no longer who you used to be. You're now in Christ. It's a different, you're a different person. You've got a whole different set of standards now. But sometimes we get weary in, in following those. And in verse 21, it says, He made Him, this is God our Father, made Him, Christ, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This is what happened on the cross. This is propitiation. When God took, when, when Jesus took the full force and brunt of our sin in totality and He completely met God's demands on it. He completely... Um, I, I, I don't know what word I'm, I'm. See, I'm wearing my old man's shoes today, so I, I forget words. But uh, he completely. He didn't. He didn't just make it sidetrack. He completely took the whole hit for our sin and completely paid it in full. To where now God is appeased, as it were. He, he, his. He's no longer furious at us with his wrath. And so in Romans 8, or Romans 5, rather, he says that having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. We now have open access into his presence, his very presence. We are welcomed. And we have been given the Holy Spirit. God poured his love out on, in, in us through the Holy Spirit. We are changed men if we're saved. And that means then we can do everything He calls us to do, and that is to be spiritual leaders in, in the case of what we're talking about. What keeps me saved? Jesus Christ. Look at Galatians five. Galatians five. What produces spiritual fruit in my life? That's that's a question. Do I do it by my own strength? You know what? I can make some really nice looking fake fruit but it's not real. It's not, it's not genuine fruit. Here, here's how you do it. And this goes right back to what I've been saying. Galatians 5, <clears throat> verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You don't, you don't see any, here am I, you do what I say, I'm the boss, all of that. You don't see that as, as the, the, the outcome of what the Holy Spirit produces here. And he goes on, he says, "Now those who belong to Christ, Jesus have crucified the flesh its pa- with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, and what this is talking about is, if I've been saved by the power of the Holy Spirit, which I have, he said, "Let us walk by the spirit. You are saved by faith, so how should you walk? By faith. You should trust God that He's working in your life that you can do what He calls you to do. Now, along with this goes a submission to the Spirit, a submission to Him. We know what right and wrong is. We can't, you know, it's easy for us to just kind of just get lazy. I I, I don't want to deal with this. I've experienced this even lately. It's like, you know, I'm just tired of this. I, I, I don't want to, I'm tired of trying to be godly. You know what? What that is, is really, I'm tired of trying to be dug godly. I need to want to be Christ-godly is what I need. It's too much focus on ourselves. You see, the perspective and the clarity is it's not about my success or what I can do, but about who I trust and who I am in Christ. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things, what? Through Christ who strengthens me. So when I'm weak and I can't do it, the problem is I'm focusing on the wrong person. I'm focusing on where I am a loser instead of focusing on where he is the one who's in control, even when I am a loser. Philippians 1.6, I'm convinced of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will also do it until the day of Christ, or apply it. I'm convinced that he who began a good work in me will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Do I believe that or don't I? That's the real question. When you're you're struggling with all of this, ask that question. Do I really believe what I know God has said? Perspective and clarity. Not about my success or what I can do, but about who I am in Christ. It's all about the heart. The heart's always the heart of the matter. Um... Okay, I'm going to real quickly go through these obvious necessaries that I mentioned. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to go way in depth, but I'm going to go fast. But first of all, okay, it's easy to put off and ignore what we ought to do and what we should do and what we're commanded to do. It's easy to ignore it because life is so busy and we can, in all the doing of the life, you know, I, I got, I got football games I got to go to, I got baseball games I got to go to, I got meetings I got to go to, and all this. Okay, let's prioritize a little bit is whatever this is that's so important, how much will it matter in a thousand years? I call that the thousand year rule. Timothy probably heard it back in camp, you know. In a thousand years, is this really going to matter that me and my wife are having this disagreement and I feel like i got to be right here? Or whatever. I mean, plug it in. It, it, it fit. People go, well, in a hundred years, yeah, but in a thousand years, it's really, this really won't matter here, will it? <clears throat> That gives me, that's what Paul's talking about in chapter 14 of Philippians about being content. He said, I can be content with whatever. How do you do that, Paul? That's how. I I look at it from from the basis of what's the true value of this relative to eternity, relative to Christ, relative to souls. What is the value of this? It's not saying you don't enjoy those things. It's okay. But. I'm just going to say this, if I have to miss church because there's some sort of a ball game or something, I think I got a wrong priority in that case. That's my opinion. you can I'm not your holy spirit, thankfully i'm I've got enough problems with my own life i don't I don't need to be your holy Spirit. But honestly, if this thing is more important than me being involved in my local church, number one, I need to read my Bible more. And number 2, I really need to to pray about this because I think it is a problem. So first, first thing, <clears throat> it's is God's word. And and we got a little motto at Cornerstone Cornerstone Bible Church where God's word is loved, learned, and lived. And that would be our statement of what we want to happen at Cornerstone Bible Church. Okay? Um I'm I i I'm going to say you need to love and learn and, and live God's Word because you need it. And so does your wife. So does your family. You need this. You need this. You need to be in the Word for yourself you know, because you need it. You need to be in the Word by getting the ministry of the Word in your local church. And you need to be meditating on what the Word teaches you. And you could say, I, I'm not a good reader. Did God say... If you're not a good reader, don't be in the Word. No. Go and learn some of these verses and memorize them. Then you don't have to read them. Right? We're like sponges. If you take a sponge and you squeeze it, what's going to come out? Whatever's in it. Right? Whatever's in it is going to come out. When you're put under the pressure of life, whatever comes out it shows what's really inside. And you want the word to be Christ likeness to be what comes out. Second, God's church, and I already hit on that, active involvement. Why? Because you really do need it. It's 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 an absolute part of your spiritual life that God intended when he created. You know, can you get by without your lungs? No, why? Cuz you need them, right? Why? Because God created you that way. Do you realize spiritually these things are things you need because this is how God works spiritually in your life to cause you to grow? You say, well, yeah, but I've been at church and, and they're hypocrites. So what? The Corinthian church was a big mess, but God still said it was His church because there were true believers there and He worked in it to change it and if you're so concerned that you know that, that, well there's hypocrites in the church well why don't you go and not be a hypocrite and help them honestly when people say that it's generally just an excuse isn't it I just don't want to go spend time in church that's for women well you know um, you will find out later that's not true it's for men third God's heart and by that I mean not that you, not that you have God's heart, but uh, that you are in God's heart. That God loves you. We need to have a conscious, intentional choice to focus our heart and attitude on God and therefore have the right attitude in life. Colossians 3 says, Therefore, if you've been crucified... Uh, I can't get that one, so I'm going to have to turn to it. This is supposed to be like one of my favorite verse, right, Stan? therefore if you have been raised up with Christ keep seeking the things above where Christ is at the right hand of God set your mind notice it's singular he's talking to the whole church and he says set your mind as one on the things above not on the things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God you have died your life is hidden with Christ in God we mentioned that earlier right That's who you are now. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will be revealed with Him in glory. The point being, we need to cultivate godliness in our hearts, and we do that by keeping our focus on Him. Cultivate humility. Don't be afraid of humility. Humility is far more powerful than you think it is. It's far more powerful than many things that people call power. Because if I have humility, you know what? I don't have to go to the mat for everything. You, you tell me I'm stupid. Okay, whatever. I can let it go off my back. I don't have to pull a gun on you and shoot you. You know? Uh, humility, okay, I don't have to win every argument. Because if I'm right, I know I'm right. Why do I have to prove to you I'm right? You know? You know? Those are just a couple. I mean, those are just down here things. I mean, it works on a higher level. Because if I have humility, and humility is, it, here's what humility is. It's me seeing myself as God sees me. Okay? I see myself as God sees me. In perspective. That's what humility is. Humility's not going around, oh, well, I'm not really nothing. That's that's Pride. That's probably, but we don't have time to go into all that. A good book on humility is the Bible. But here's another good book C.J. Mahaney wrote a book called Humility. And it's a really good book about humility, it's really helpful. And so um, I would recommend that if you want to read more more about that. Cultivate humility, cultivate holiness. Here's the book for holiness J.C. Ryle, Holiness. Top book. Uh cultivate fruit, spiritual fruit by following in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Because you're in Christ and Christ is in you. And then number four is pursue Christ. Pursue Christ. And here's the passage I'd give you is Philippians three, the whole chapter. That's what Paul's argument is in Philippians three. I pursue one thing. The one thing I pursue is, is Christ's likeness, is Christ. Make that your pursuit. Because then that's why you need the Word and you need the church and that's why you need your heart. You trust Him no matter what. So in short, to lead is to have character and to have that character is to have the character of Christ and as I have the character of Christ, as Paul said in Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now he's literally talking about living there living or dying. But also on the spiritual level, it's true. For me to live is Christ, is to live for Christ. For me to die is gain because I'm with Christ. And then in chapter 3, he says, my whole point is, I want to follow Christ. And if you think Christ was some wimpy, mamby, pamby guy, you got it wrong. R.C. Chapman said, many people say they will follow Christ. I want to live Christ. And R.C. Chapman is also a, you hardly ever hear about R.C. Chapman. He's kind of a nobody. But Charles Spurgeon said of Arcy Chapman, he's the saintliest man I ever knew. Okay. I'm going to share something with you here, and I hope I can get through it. I thought I would, but um, the other day I wrote, an, uh, uh, I wrote a, an entry in my journal, four pages long, where I was just dumping all this stuff out. I was dumping my struggle. And here's where I ended up. And it's a lot like the Psalms. The Psalms come in and they're going, Oh, Lord, everything's falling apart. It's awful, Lord. Please help me. And by the time they get to the end of it, they're saying, Lord, I trust you. And this is where I ended up. And I'm just reading you the end of it. I'm not going to read you the whole entry. But this is what I ended up saying. I just, I just started writing this out. Uh, as I, was, I said, To God, I said, I know that I am not in any way angry with you, O Lord. Thank you for that. Because I was dealing with just all the stuff I was wrestling with. I know that I am not distrusting your plan. Thank you for that. I know you have a gracious and a good purpose in your trials that you have put me in. Thank you for that. I know you cause all things in my life to work for the good you have for me and your glory. Thank you for that. I know you love me and care for me. Thank you for that. I know that your grace is enough to bring me through, but I still stumble. Thank you for that. I know that I desire to please, to honor, and to glorify you. And I fail miserably. I'm sorry about that. But I know you are working in me, nevertheless, to accomplish that exact end. Thank you for that. I know that I love you. It was, it was clarified for me what really mattered and where the focus really has to stay. But in the midst of that, instead of becoming angry, I said, God, I choose to trust you. And that, man, is what it takes to be a spirit. Not to go through all the stuff I'm going through necessarily. God takes you through whatever trials he needs to. But keep in mind, trials are always an opportunity to grow and to glorify God. But sometimes when you have multiple trials piled on you and they stay, it gets hard. It gets hard to keep that focus and God will do what it takes to help us with that focus. God, thank you for that. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are true and that what you say in your word is dead on. That when you say in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love that you have given us in Christ Jesus, that God, you mean that, and you will not let anything separate us. And Lord, perhaps some of these men sitting here this morning are kind of down now as we've talked about this, as we we see how much we can fail. Lord, I pray that you will help them to, to have their focus on you and realize you're the one that enables all of us to do and be what we should be whether we're in the, in the lowest of the lows or the highest of the highs, Lord. It's easy when we're in the highs to trust You. But Lord, thank You for giving us trials and tribulations so that we can learn in the lows to trust You as well. And I pray, Lord, that every man here would be an exemplary spiritual leader in his church and in his home. And Lord, we ask this for Your glory and yours alone. Amen.